Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and you're on Why Do Pets Matter, the podcast. We are so glad you're here. Today, I am thrilled to have my South African colleague, Karis Nafti, here with me. She is a pet custody consultant, and you know how much I talk about pet custody and how, unfortunately, your pet doesn't hit your ex, as we all know. Uh, she is also a board of director on SOTA, which is the South African Agility Dog Agility Association. Um, she is training to be a mediator, so she and I, you know, we're, we're buds right there. She is doing what I did a few years ago, and hopefully I'll be able to refer people to her in South Africa when she is um, certified there. Uh, she is an animal behavior trainer, um, she's an animal behaviorist and also a trainer because she comes in and helps you work through issues with your dog, which to me is the only way to help someone overcome an issue with their pet. Um, and as I said, she's um, in on the board of directors of the South African Dog Agility Association, but she's also an agility judge, which I am such a neophyte in agility, it's ridiculous, but I love agility and um, having Irish setters, you know, they love agility. Uh, I can only screw them up. So I'm hopeful that I will take some tidbits away uh, from Karis on how to get a dog ready. And last but not least, the most fun. Now, some of you know my son, Drew, is an editor on Drunk History in LA. Well, Karis trains dogs for movies. She's what they call in South Africa a wrangler, but that's because she provides the animals and the safety of the animals who are performing in the movies. So without further ado, I am so grateful. Karis, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Deborah. This is fabulous. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Well, we have talked a few times and we have so much in common uh, and, and you're following um, me into that mediation realm where we learn how to talk to people who are in conflict. Um, you'll probably be a little broader than me, but I certainly just do that little niche with animals. But having that practice as a pet custody consultant really makes us sort of kindred spirits. And I'm so glad that my audience is going to hear how this is dealt with over in South Africa. But before we get to that, I always have to ask the first question, which is, Karis, why do pets matter to you? Well, I'm going to answer that with a sweet story, Deborah. And Perfect. the sweet story <laughs> is that the, the, the story of my childhood is that my first word wasn't even mom, it was doggy. <laughs> because from, from the first moment I have a memory, I have loved dogs and cats. And what was interesting in my growing up was I wasn't allowed to have dogs and cats because 
there were allergies in the family and my parents didn't want dogs. And at the time, this was quite a trauma for me. Um, but what that did is it made me feed my love of dogs in other ways. So I started a dog walking business when I was a kid. I read every single thing I could about dogs when I was a child. I was an expert in dog breeds by the time I was 12 years old. Um, and then when I was 15, my parents said, okay, you can get a dog. And then the floodgates opened. And basically I haven't looked back. And when I was 16, I was teaching puppy classes. I'd been hired at a dog training school. And my whole life since then has really revolved around animals and the people who have them. And um, what I learned quite young after teaching puppy school and, and, and working with aggressive dogs and, and working with dogs is that you can have all the skill you want in the world with an animal, but it's the people that you actually have to communicate with. And, and by sort of realizing that and broadening my, um, say broadening my opinion of owners who, you know, like sometimes people buy the wrong dog. It happens. They get a breed that's not appropriate for them, or it was a gift that, you know, there's a million reasons. And, you know, for example, you can't judge people for that. You have to work with what you've got and how you can improve it and, and make it better. But, but to work with my clients without a, a sense of them feeling um, judged or belittled at all. It's like, and, and, and from that, I've, I've worked all over the world and I was born in Oregon and I, and then when I was 25, I moved to South Africa and in South Africa, I have done wonderful things. I mean, this is a wild and wonderful country. Um, I've worked with cheetahs and elephants and on film sets with all sorts of animals. Um, but most of my work is with domestic animals and their owners. And that's really it's not as glamorous as the cheetahs, but it's it's more satisfying because it can make a real difference there. You know, it's so interesting. You talked about this. Um, there are many trainers who take the dog and train it for the owners. And um, I always find that to miss that link that you so eloquently put out there. It's about um, people communicating with each other to help the dog be its best self and to help the people be their best selves. So here you are, you have a pet owner who may or may not be having issues with their dog. And as you beautifully said, don't judge them, just help them. Um, and maybe that help is, this is not the right dog for you and, and let's see if we can find a new home or not. But to make sure that you give them all the tools they might not have um, to live peacefully with those dogs. So tell us if you can, a few stories of, of dogs that as a behaviorist um, or cats or birds or horses, whatever you have uh, worked on, because I know you've worked on a number of them, um, that the, the owners probably had a good heart, probably thought this was the best dog for them and then found themselves way in over their heads. And um, I think we've talked about this before maybe, um, but you don't take the dogs away and train them. You work with the people because it's about the people being able to uh, have the dog do it right as opposed to you having it, having the pet do it right. Yeah. I mean, I tell, I, if I train the dog, it's going to listen to me. It, it, it's, it's not, it, because so my job really, I mean, it's my terrible cheesy joke, but I always tell my clients, well, I'm not a dog trainer. I'm a people trainer. I'm going to teach you how to train your dog. And then you'll, you and your dog will have that relationship where 
it, it works and you actually know how to communicate with them. And I don't even like training people's dogs too much because it also makes the people feel a little silly sometimes because I've trained thousands of dogs. So of course I can train dogs to do a whole lot of cool things, but my job is not to show how special I am. I, I The best definition I heard of a teacher, which I really believe is that a good teacher makes the students think they figured it all out themselves. <laughs> I remember when you told me that we were talking. It's like the perfect. It's perfect. And so I see it with my agility students because I teach agility classes. And and sometimes I'm, you know, they might have been making the same mistake many, many times. Um, and if I'm smart in how I communicate something, they change their behavior because it occurred to them, not because I told them to. And then it actually sticks. But to go to, go to your question, Deborah, I mean, that's such a good question about yeah, a lot of times dogs end up with the wrong owner um, for a thousand million reasons. One of the most common, um, in the place where I live in South Africa, there are a lot of border collies. It's one of the most popular breeds. There's a lot of farms um, and it, it's just kind of, it's sort of like the Labrador of where I live. I'll put it that way. And the misconception people have, because they just don't know, is they think smart dogs are good dogs that somehow having a high degree of intelligence means that they will automatically be a good pet. And anyone who works with dogs knows the opposite is true. <laughs> the smart dogs are the impossible dogs unless you work them. So I've had, I mean, I had a lovely woman, a sweet family who'd just been diagnosed with Parkinson's. She was an older woman and um, her adult children wanted to make her feel better. And the family had never had a dog, but they decided to get her a puppy um, because this was quite a, this was very tragic for the family, you know, and they bought her a border collie puppy, um, not understanding that a smart dog would be a tricky pet for her. And, um, and she came through puppy school and, and, and we worked with her and eventually we very quietly, I kind of, I let them come to their own conclusion. We found the dog a home on a sheep farm because it was just going to be impossible, but I couldn't tell them that in puppy school when they had an eight-week-old puppy because all eight-week-old puppies are perfect. There's nothing wrong with an eight-week-old puppy. They're the best and the smartest and the and they already come when you call because all eight-week-old puppies come when you call. <laughs> so so that sort of thing I work with quite a lot. Um, and, you know, situations where uh, I had another client last week, they had an Italian Mastiff that they bought... Um, and one of the things I try to help people with in my animal behavior work is to sort of understand that a dog is like a piece of clay, but that clay is not limitless. So if you buy an Italian fighting dog, I cannot train it to be a golden retriever. Nobody can. It will always be an Italian fighting dog. So we have to work within the framework of this breed and manage him. And no, I can't promise you that he's going to become, because he's quite aggressive toward other dogs. And I said, realistically, this is not going to be a dog playing in the dog park, but let's work that you can take him for walks because they're devoted and they're not going to give the dog up and, and they don't need to. But it's more about communicating what is realistic for this dog, because genetics, you can't argue with genetics, especially with the, those strong working breeds. 
You know, it's interesting you said that. So to go back to the older woman with the Border Collie puppy, had her family gone to maybe a rescue, a Border Collie rescue, and gotten an older one, like an eight or a nine-year-old one, where their motors are running sort of at um, three times normal speed as opposed to 10 times normal speed, that dog, first of all, she wouldn't have had to housebreak it. Um, she could have come to you to train it to be a good companion for her. She wouldn't trip over it as easily because we know eight-week-old puppies and above um, are incredible trip issues for older people. And they could have been seniors together. Um, I find that when I talk to people, I often ask them, if you want a certain kind of dog and you're older, maybe look at that breed's rescue so that you can get a dog whose owner maybe died. Um, it's a great dog, but its owner maybe died and didn't make any plans for it, so you might be able to get it. Um, as far as the Mastiff, I hear you. You know, there's a there's a couple who walk their dog here in um, Pleasantville, and when you come upon them, they start yelling, stay away, stay away. And at first I was like taken aback because they were yelling. Um, but like you have instructed the people um, with the Italian Mastiff, you need to be hyper uber aware of what will trigger your dog. And if you want to keep him, which there's nothing to say you shouldn't if you're willing to recognize that this dog has um, certain things you need to manage. And that's okay. So every time I see them, they wave now um, and I turn around and go the other way because I don't want them to have an issue with their dog. I certainly don't want our dogs to have an issue. Um, and my dogs don't need to go that way. They, we can go around the other way. It's not a big deal. Um, but to be able to um, manage that with yourself and also manage that um, with people who are walking the street, it takes a lot of good mediation skills. And you obviously have them because you've been able to talk to people about, you know, what really works for you and what really works for the dog. Um, because I always say the same thing you do. I can get a dog to do anything I want it to do. doesn't matter. And I'll annoy the bejesus out of people because I can get their dog to sit. But it isn't about me because I'm not living with the dog like you are. So you're helping people figure out how to have their dogs be good citizens, good companions. Um, and, and maybe like with the border collie who went to live on the farm, um, be aware that that would be a better um, situation for them. Yeah. And you're really right about the older dogs. And I always, I always push older dog rescue, but it's such a challenge when you get, especially a family like this, who have never had a dog. And the idea of a puppy is just, it's just impossible. It's delicious. To that. It's delicious. It's delicious. And I have this too with parents who have a two-year-old. It's like, oh, we've got a two-year-old. Let's let them grow up together. And it is a nightmare. It is a nightmare because puppies, as we know, are just little alligators. They're walking teeth and they bite and they chew and they have to. All breeds. I mean, certain breeds obviously have more of a, a tendency to bite, but the, the child usually ends up scared of the puppy. The puppy ends up locked out of the room and, and it becomes a really sad and frustrating situation. And that when people, when I'm lucky enough for people to contact me first, I really, I'm usually pretty good at articulating that in such a way that they will look at an older dog or wait until the child is older because it is just, 
it's not as cute as it looks in the photos. <laughs> it's bloody and it's sore and the dog eats the child's toys and steals the food out of their hands. And, and then there's surgery because it eats the child's toys. So that's the other big thing. I loved when you said every eight-week-old puppy um, sits and does everything and comes when you call. I often tell my owners, because I do sometimes breed my Irish setter puppies and I keep them till 12 weeks. Uh, so I get them over the hump of, you know, knowing going out to the bathroom and things like that. So you get a pretty good starter a starter dog. However, I usually say to them, they are going to be the perfect dog till they're 14 weeks old and they know they have whittled their way into your heart and then they're going to be a hellion. I said, so call me because I will come and help you figure out how to gently guide this dog back to uh, back from the dark side, which is where they go two weeks after you take them home. Yep, they do. And, they, and they're, t you know, the, the little puppies, they also, they follow you because they're babies. So I don't like to make too many parallels between people and animals because it gets confusing. But the truth is they become teenagers. And like teenagers, they go, I don't want to follow my mom. When they're babies, they follow. Yeah. But it doesn't mean they understand. They doesn't, they're not trained. They're just following their instinct. Right. They're only trained if you, can, if you can throw some food and call them off the food. Then they're trained. But it never works with a puppy. No. So, so that's also, and also for first-time puppy owners, you know, when they get their first puppy and it follows them, they often think, oh, my dog is already trained. And why wouldn't they think that? They don't know any better. You know, they don't, they, it, it sure seems like it. Um, but luckily, through, I get a lot of people in puppy class who, who kind of get that real fast. And then they, yeah, then they teach them how to come, which is great. Yeah, it's, it's really um, a mastering of the stages of puppyhood. And I'm sure you, if you, if you can, recommends, you know, several books for people to read before they get a pet, after they get a pet, um, so that they know that there are these transitions that the puppy goes through. And you'll say, but wait a minute, last week they did it great. And this week they're giving me the paw. Um, and, and we, as longtime dog owners, and I've trained a number of dogs to obedience titles, uh, the paw is always in the ring. Um, when you're competing, the paw always comes out because if you don't, you know, make sure that, you love them up and have them want to do it, if you're forcing them to do it, <laughs> then they give you that paw at the most inopportune times. Yes, absolutely. And my best story about that before we get to the pet custody. So I've, yeah. got, I've got four dogs. I've got a black Russian terrier. I've got a miniature poodle, a border collie and a cattle dog. And I do agility with everyone but the black Russian. My cattle dog, however, loves my husband. He is my husband's dog. I've trained him, but his, his bond is with my husband. So when I take him to agility shows, I was in the ring with Sam and we were mid run and he was going over the jumps. And just in that moment, my husband pulled up and Sam heard his car and just ran off the course. <laughs> this is a, this is a high level. This is a, this is a qualified many times over dog, but now unfortunately my husband's not allowed to watch him because I know, I know Sam well enough. If there's, if my husband's not there, he is my dog. He's brilliant until he shows up and then boop, he gives yeah. me the paw. Yeah, it gives I you do? the paw. I mean, it, it's great. And the other thing before we go to pet custody, because this is really important too, because it's not about just having the two-year-old um, and getting a puppy, but having a dog for many years, four, five, six, seven, whatever, and then having children. I spent a great deal of my time um, educating people on how to introduce your baby to your pet, your longtime pet, because a lot of people, unfortunately, 
don't do it well. And the pet sometimes feels like you said, you know, you lock the puppy in a room because it's biting the baby. Well, people lock the dog in the room after it's been, you know, the run of the house for seven years because you have a baby, you don't want the germs. So how do you help people transition their dog from being an only child to having a sibling? Boy, that really is a human animal bond. That's a big question, yeah. So I would say I'm going to split that into two answers. So, so I would separate that from any dog if there's a dog with any sort of history of aggression or um, high prey drive or, you know, I mean, I've worked with dogs who kill cats, you know, that sort of thing. I would put those dogs in a different category. That's more complicated. I don't want to sort of give simple advice for that. Yeah. For any, for let's say a normal dog, it's just, it's Rover who's, who you've had, who's just a normal hairy slobbery dog and he's fine, but he's still a dog. Um, the first thing that I tell people is that the number one thing that I see a lot of my clients struggle with is once the baby's born, no one walks the dog anymore. And then the dogs get hyper and bored and frustrated and everything, of course, I mean, I know, you know, I've, I have a child, we all know, when you have a baby, the whole house becomes about the baby. And the tendency, because people often humanize their dogs a bit, is they think, oh, the dog's just jealous of the baby. And you know what? The dog's not jealous. The dog's really bored. The dog still needs to go for a run. So I tell people, be kind to yourself, hire a dog walker for a month or make a plan so that the dog's exercise doesn't stop. That's on the one level. And then I, what I tell my clients to do when they first bring the baby home is the baby's swaddled and it's in, you know, towels and things, but the dog has to smell it. And some moms get so nervous that instinct kicks in. Even if you've loved your dog forever, they get so protective of the baby. They kind of hold the baby up, you know, like it's, and, and they don't want the dog to smell. And the dog knows something is there. And then when you're holding, like, you know, if you pick a little dog up at the park, all the dogs jump. So if you're holding a baby up and sort of shouting, the dog is going to be frantic to go, what is, what are you holding? What's that? So put the dog on a leash. And have dad stand on the leash so that the dog is not able to jump. And then keeping the baby wrapped, you just basically stick the baby's bum in the dog's nose so he can smell it. This yes. is through blankets. No, not a naked baby. But, and then you'll see the dog will smell it, smell it. And most dogs then are bored. They're like, well, that's not very interesting. It's the doing nothing that, useful for me. Yeah. And most mom, human moms, not dog moms, <laughs> um, they get so scared of that. That's the moment that they get wrong is they don't just let the dog see it. And what is it and smell it? Um, you know, there's a lot of different research about germs and pets and being around dogs makes kids healthier and farm kids are healthier. So, you know, I'm, I, I can't speak to that. I, certainly with my own daughter, she's healthy as a horse and has always been with the dogs. Right. So if you're going to allow the dog into the baby's room, do it. If you know beforehand that you won't be able to live that, then you need to keep the dog out of that room well before the baby's there so that the baby coming does not change the dog's whole life. You need to get those routines in place beforehand. So that's kind of a short little basic I can offer for that. Yeah. That is, that is so true. I have two sons and I had nine dogs uh, to bring each of them home. Um, and I actually took a lot of time uh, figuring out where the dogs could be um, so that there would be some safe space for the baby to be on the floor. Uh, as it turns out, um, it, I, I ended up survival of the fittest and put everybody together and just let them all figure it out. Uh, but most people aren't like me. Uh, 
but I have to tell you that um, I kept sending baby clothes home with my husband for the day or two that I was in the hospital because it was the old days when they kept you a day or two and didn't throw you out five minutes after you have the baby. Um, and my my babies were, I mean, the dogs were allowed to go to the bathinette. They were allowed to sniff in the bathinette. They were allowed, I mean, one of them really loved the dirty diapers, which was terrible, um, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, but you're absolutely right. You need to set up the boundaries so that it's not associated with the baby. Um, and you really need to give them the opportunity to smell it um, before you come home with it. Um, that's really something that's really great. And you can do that. Just take a, a, a one of those burping rags and send it home. Um, and when I got home, I actually uh, gave the baby to my husband um, and I said hello to the dogs as if nothing had changed. Um, and then I introduced the baby that they had been smelling for about a day or two. And, you know, knock on wood, I mean, they're Irish setters, so they sort of take new kids on the block easily. Uh, but this was not a transition, but you really have to be thoughtful. And I think that's the most important piece that you brought out. You have to be thoughtful about bringing this baby into the family, like you would if you had an older sibling, you know, setting them up for success. Exactly. And the other thing I tell my, my pregnant moms, just as a little tip, because people are so worried that the dogs will wake up the baby. The baby is hearing the dogs bark in the womb. They can hear, you know, it's like sound carries straight through. So they're quite used to that sound. So obviously, I mean, and there's a million opinions about sleeping and babies and all of that, but this is not an unusual sound to the baby. So if you get suddenly worried that it's going to scare the baby or, you know, it, it, they're, they're used to it. And if you now have allowed your dogs to bark and are now going to react manically and, and fearfully to try to stop the barking, that'll also upset the dog. So either find a different barking routine, get some help, or just don't worry about it because your kid's used to it. That's That was my attitude. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we have the same attitude. Now to get to that last piece that I want to bring out to everyone who's listening to Why Do Pets Matter, um, you and I have talked um, about pet custody and it is a pretty interesting um, experience to try to help people decide on custody, whether it's total custody uh, with one person or shared custody. Um, and how has your experience with helping people do this um, formed probably while you're studying mediation, but formed how you address it? So I started doing this by accident. Um, I was seeing clients who were calling me who had dogs with, you know, the normal tricky behaviors I see, like dogs peeing inside or separation anxiety or chewing up the couch and, you know, kind of everything you can think of. And I had this this sort of run of dogs where I could trace the problem back to the fact that either the dog the dogs are having shared custody and really not coping with moving between the houses. That that happened quite a lot. Or where the the husband say won custody because he had more money to fight the wife, you know, in in the legal front, the ex-wife, but he didn't actually want the dogs. Um, or the mother uh, kept the dog and she's now sort of trying to mother two or three children by herself. And now she's got no time to walk the dog and no one had really thought of that. You know, there was just this idea that the dog has to go with the children and it was made out of kindness, but it wasn't actually thought through of the family routine. 
And as I started seeing this and exploring, and, and when I grew up, my mother was a divorce mediator. So I kind of grew up in this world and I was chatting to my mom and, and I just sort of had this light bulb a couple of years ago. I was like, nobody's doing custody help beforehand. And so rather than coming in as a behaviorist, now I go in proactively with my behavior background so I can speak to the language of the cats and the, I mean, do parrots, I mean, a bit of everything, mostly dogs though. Um, so that the right choice gets made from the animal's perspective. And that's really, that's really what I try to do is what, what is right for the animal? I mean, I'm with respect to all people involved and, and no, um, I'm, I'm really very neutral in that. But the one thing I'm not neutral on and that I, I share with people, I obviously don't make a decision is for the animal, this will probably be the best decision. Um, and, and then we just go through and it's, sometimes it's really lovely. And sometimes it's just a heartbreak because I do have people who kind of love the dog enough to let it go because shared custody for some dogs, it just is stressful for them. You know, um, I would say it's nothing that anyone can make a general statement about, but what I kind of look at is what has the dog's background been? Has it had a troubled upbringing? Has there been abuse? Was it a rescue dog? Um, is this particular dog going to cope with change? Or is it going to be really upsetting for the dog? Um, and and as far as sort of breed types go, when you do get um, like let's say a purebred sort of dog, like we were talking about the mastiff earlier, um, many breeds are quite genetically wired to bond with a house and some like a, a place, and this is like my area, and this is how they orient themselves in the world, you know, think German Shepherdish sort of dogs, you know, like this is their thing. And some dogs really bond with one person. And, and for them to go back and forth is just, it's not fair. And it's, it's not very PC to say that because I see shared custody kind of becoming, you know, as people Oh, this is a hairy subject, but as people sort of humanize their dogs and really refer to them as fur children and the fur babies, they're not children. They are dogs, you know, they're not property either. I, I, I say that all the time. In my opinion, they need their own category. They're not humans. They're not children. They're not really property, even though they are property technically, but they're something else and they have to be considered in that different way. So if the shared custody is going to stress the dog out, if you really love it, then maybe you need to let it let it stay with your ex and, and let it go for the dog's sake. Because oh, I was saying about the fur kids, it's like, it's kind of becoming normal. It's like, okay, well, it's just shared custody and people agree to it beforehand without thinking, is this right for the dog? Especially if there's a stressful relationship between people. So my um, basic quote is, unfortunately, your pet doesn't hate your ex. And they really don't. But sometimes they will thrive, as you said, in a certain place that they find their territory in the person that they find as their friend. Um, and I don't know about you, but I find it really difficult to get attorneys who are divorce attorneys to even ask about the pets. Um, and yeah. I've had a number of them come up to me and say, I cannot believe that we had an incredible, incredibly great divorce agreement going until we got to the pet and then it blew up. I said, because like children, you need to address it up front. First thing, what's going on here? And I have to agree with you. So um, the life of the dog and 
if you get a rescue or you get a puppy, how did that dog grow up? Who is the most influential in that dog? How does that dog deal with stress of change, stress of environment? And, and really, as you said, this is what I do too, um, and which is why we have so much in common. I'm there for the dog or the cat or the bird or the horse. What's going to work best for the animal? And let's try to um, take our needs um, out of the equation while we're trying to discuss what's best for the animal. Um, and sometimes the, the stress that comes when I'm transitioning, when I'm, when I'm helping people transition, uh, the stress that comes when the dog goes from party A to party B really affects the dog. And so, you know, having that conversation on how do you set up that transition? Um, how do you make sure that that transition is smooth and that the dog is, or cat, um, is, is able to do it? And really, you probably do this as well. I revisit it every three months after an agreement is made. I only make an agreement for three months for the first year because we have to come back and really examine how the pet is handling this new normal for them. And usually, and I'm sure you found this, people's need to be with the dog um, comes to a head after three to six months. And then they sometimes are more willing to let it go to the other party because, as you said, that mother with the kids, had she had the ability to revisit it at three and at six months, might have said, you know, it's really overwhelming to me. Um, and been able to feel good about and not guilty about uh, finding a new situation, maybe giving it to her husband. I always hate when people like that, and hate's a strong word, but I, I really feel badly if I'm not able to um, enable the party who takes the dog to return the dog it, to the other party without the animosity and the, and the name calling and the blah, 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 um, if it doesn't work out. I want to make sure that if, you know, I separate from my husband and I take the dogs and the dogs really are miserable, um, that I offer them to my husband who would be continuity to the dogs. And I know yeah. we've talked about this before. If you can't take care of the dogs, if you have an issue, you know, don't put them to sleep. Don't place them with somebody else. Really have the opportunity to the first right of refusal to their other guardian. Yeah. And you have to put that in place, although, and that that does give a bit of peace of something. And the, you know, like with the shared custody, like you said, if it's not, um, for some dogs it works, and some owners, like if if it's been a clean break, and the dog is just like Mister Cool, and like nothing bothers me, it can really be fine. I find a lot of the problem is is that there's such. Um, it's like a lack of peace in the in the in the separated couple, and so when they get the dog back, they're too emotional or they overfeed it. It's like what people, you know, the same thing people do with children, or when they're getting ready to hand the dog over, they're stressed, and when then there's anger, and all these handoffs are so stressful for the dog. It's like the dog, a dog can't live like that. They yeah. don't know where. They don't know if the stress or the people angry at them, and and you see all. I mean, I see all sorts of. Every kind of itching, chewing, everything, defecating, peeing, everything. Because because the the stress of the last three days before I transition from you know me to you, uh, you get crazy, and and the dog picks up on that because that's why all of us have had such a great time. If we have animals, um, not a great time, but a less stressful time during this shelter in place, because we had animals that 
really sucked up all that negative energy. Imagine the PTSD they're going to be suffering in a few weeks after all this changes because they've been sort of hands on. Um, but maybe yeah. we'll talk about that next time, Karis. I'm going to, I could talk to you forever. So we'll have to do this again very soon. Um, I do want to go through the three things that I pulled out, which I have 20, but I'm going to just try to do three. Um, First of all, it's about training people how to communicate with their animals. A uh, trainer can't train the dog. They have to train the people. And I think that's perfect. That's just, that is so where I am uh, because the animals pick up on your energy, on your information. And so as a, as a animal behaviorist and a trainer, training the people um, is absolutely key. Um, I thought you were perfect because this is, this is my big gig um, for trainers. Please do not judge the people you are training. Um, they're doing the best they can. They did things um, in, the, in, in what they thought was the best manner. I loved when you said, I allow them to come to the solution on their own. I give them the assistance to figure out on their own that this dog, you know, needs training or needs this or needs that, or maybe needs to find a new home. And so that is perfect. If you can get somebody to say, you know, Karis, I think the fluffy is, um, would be better on a farm um, because like the older woman with the young border collie, uh, it's not a failure. It's a recognition that the dog is not thriving and that's not your fault in that, you know, you thought it would work and it didn't work. And maybe it would have worked if you'd gotten a senior dog, but don't judge them, help them make the best decision for the pet. And then finally, you know, when you're in pet custody, um, they aren't human children. They're, they're still, um, animals. They still react in ways that, are inherent to them because that's years of evolution. They they um, react the way they're supposed to react, whether you're an Italian Mastiff or you're a Border Collie or you're an Irish Setter or you're a Russian Terrier, you're gonna react the way your um, DNA tells you to react and being aware of that before you buy it best, after you buy it with the help of a really conscientious and conscious um, trainer, behaviorist, so that you can set that dog up for success. You might have to change the way you do it, but you have to set that dog up for success. Whether you're you know, taking it for a walk and it might be a, um, not a good other dog walk or a dog park dog, or if you're bringing a baby home, you, know, you wanna set that dog up for success. And you can do that with someone like Harris, um, who is a behaviorist and a trainer um, and helps people to really keep the dog, cat, bird, course, um, focused, you know, what's best for them. Um, I hope, I hope you agree, Karis. Those are the three things that I think, um, cover this discussion. And I know we have so many more. Um, I'm so glad you came. I hope you had a good time. I had a great time and I look forward to the next one. This was, we could talk for hours. This is fabulous, Deborah. And I can't yeah. wait to do that. Yes. I can't wait to do that because, um, you know, this, this is so important for people to hear that not only, you know, here in the, you know, my hemisphere, but in your hemisphere, people are doing the same thing, having the same issues. And so we're bringing all those voices together to help everyone have um, a discussion on why do pets matter? Um, because they really bring love and hope and um, enjoyment into a human's life. Absolutely. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, thank you for coming. This is Deborah Hamilton, and I'm um, speaking with my good friend, Karis Naffy. She is a pet custody consultant, um, and you can reach her at, where can they reach you, Karis? 
Um, so my website is K-A-R-I-S-N-A-F-T-E.com. And it's at Karis Nafti on Instagram and Facebook as well. Perfect. And we'll put that in the notes at the bottom as well. But everybody, keep in touch. Stay together. Why do pets matter? Because they really bring joy and um, love into our lives. This is Deborah Hamilton. I'm the host of Why Do Pets Matter. And stay tuned for our next podcast. You've been listening to the podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover? Write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at whydopetsmatterpodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.